Welcome back, listeners, to Such Nerds. I am Russ, your host for this podcast, along with Jason and Peter. And we are getting into the big reveal from part two of Isaac Asimov's Foundation. Those of you that are tuning in, just to recap for last time, we discussed the encyclopedists, I believe, as Peter prefers to pronounce it. It's pedist. Thank you very much. Sorry. Sorry. sorry I put out my vegan cigar for a second there. Under, understand. I understand. Um, we saw the interactions between some of the galactic representatives. We, saw, we encountered Anacreon representatives. We see the council come together and we are left with the hook that pending anarchy could be upon us as well as Anacreon invasion um, as they make their way towards Terminus to establish their military presence. All on the eve of the anniversary for Harry Seldon's digital vault to be opened and we are going to find out and discuss what message he's left for us. Jason, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, so just to uh, just to reiterate a little bit, um, we have, you know, Farah is a member of the council, um, and he has been kind of the voice of, um, of reflection on the significance of Harry Seldon's reveal, which is up, everybody knows is upcoming. It's a planned uh, opening of this digital vault that they're, expecting a message after 50 years of working on the encyclopedia, toiling as the foundation, a focused enterprise with a, a society of scientists. And, you know, in, uh, in parallel, Harry, um, not Harry, sorry, uh, in parallel, Salver Hardin uh, has wedged himself into the council discussions as a representative of the people of Terminus. And in, his uh, in his closed door sessions with his party members, he's actually um, planning a coup d'état or a coup d'état, as some may call it. Um, that's what I call it. That's well, what let's, call it. I let's, figured you would pronounce it that way, Peter. I like to put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yeah. Let's let's also remind our listeners that he is the actual first mayor of. Terminus, first elected mayor of Terminus. So he also brings with him that representation. Right. He's a man of the people for the people. He's a native born Termini, as I like to call him. I think it's a Terminian, is the. Uh... <laughs> a Terminar. A Terminite. I like Terminite. It's like Termite. Are, are they, and they're not uh, terminators. <laughs> I'll be back for that one. <laughs> I was thinking more uh, terminating the countryside. Terminating all the people, like Trogdor. No, no, not yeah, no, not terminating. Terminating. Uh, Get it? No. Get it, Russ? Nothing. And so, you know, not to, uh, you know, over emphasize the importance of uh, Salver Harden as a mayor, but 
just in case you guys didn't look ahead when you were reading page 96, but if you look to the right, you'll see the title of part three, which is the mayors, which we'll be obviously talking about next time. So probably the fact that uh, Salver Hardin is a mayor is of some degree of significance. So, you know, we've been, we've been kind of pushing this off to not, uh, you know, not ruin the surprise, but I think it's time to kind of lay it out there. So um, I've kind of set it up. Uh, maybe Russell, I'll, I'll toss it back to you. What does Harry Selden say in his digital holographic form to the council at the end of this section? So I will, I will paraphrase for the sake of our listeners. Um, I'm sure many of you are busy doing other things in this world. So the big reveal is that Harry Selden, uh, the message is a projection of Harry Selden in a wheelchair as an elderly man. Um, and he basically tells us that the entire Encyclopedia Foundation is a complete farce and hoax and is all an effort to keep people occupied for the 50 years that it has taken them to get this far in order for specific events to fall into place. So he basically says, gotcha. That's what Hardin has been preaching the entire time is that uh, the stagnation, everyone is not focusing on what really has been happening, yet Harry Selden has been forcing this or projecting this out for uh, for years. So one of the uh, side effects of this is that the scientists turn to Harden and they say, you were right, now show us what to do next. And Harden appreciates the gesture and then he thinks to himself, but I've already taken control of this entire place because his coup went into effect at the same time of the reveal. Yeah, basically the council, you know, they were all in this room focusing on on the opening of the vault, right? And he had pre-planned with his team that that's when they would establish themselves as the authority for the planet, right? Right. Yeah. So he doesn't do it with malice, right? He does it because he believes it's what's right for the people and he doesn't do it in a way that totally invalidates the council that he originally expects for them to stay focused on the encyclopedia and he'll focus on politics and get them kind of out of that decision-making position. But in the end, it turns out that they kind of relinquish, you know, um, on their own, the, uh, the position of deciding what's best for the planet. Right. And, and Harry Selden doesn't leave us without, any hope. Uh, this is straight out of the novel. Uh, we cannot stop the fall. We do not wish to, for imperial culture has lost whatever virility and worth it once had. But we can shorten the period of barbarism that must follow down to a single thousand of years. But this, I can tell you, Terminus and its companion foundation at the other end of the galaxy are the seeds of the Renaissance for the future founders of the Second Galactic Empire. And it is at the present crisis that is starting Terminus off to that climax. So Terminus is being set up as the seed to rebuild humanity. It's the first domino to fall in the Galactic Empire plan. Right. The the reawakening of the Empire. It's not the first. It's not the first item to fall. That's probably going to be 
our central home world of only bureaucracy, which we covered in the first episode of Such Nerds. Now, do we know do we know what that other planet on the other side of the galaxy is? They meant, I, I never remember hearing any other mention. Yeah, it's of it. it's mentioned very early in the first section, I believe. Uh, Harry mentions it to Gal at the end that they've uh, they've also established another um, another location at the other side of the galaxy, um, and I don't know if it's I can't remember if he says it's like a fallback uh, if the terminus thing fell through, but in any case, they. They are kind At of At star's end, he says. And, and another will be established at the other end of the galaxy, let us say. And he smiled at star's end. Mm-hmm. And as for the rest, I will die soon. <laughs> nope. Mm-hmm. Not relevant. Sorry, I was trying to continue that thought. <laughs> <laughs> Classic We all make mistakes. So I, I think that this is like, uh, this is uh, really, you know, stepping off into and why, you know, I, I harped on last, last discussion on violence as the last resort of the incompetent. Um, you know, Harry Seldon says, you're going to encounter a series of crises. Like you are going to be tried there. There will be trial after trial for the people of Terminus. Like this is how we're going to rebuild the galaxy. You're going to have to be kind of branded with fire or whatever, whatever the term is, right? It's not going to be a soft pedal, right? They're going to be um, put through the ringer. And I think that's an interesting concept. And, uh, and I, I, I think I'm kind of opening up the floor. If you guys had thoughts on, on that idea or that concept of having to encounter challenges to be better on the other side versus being coddled through life. Oh no! I've been doing a whole thing on this recently, and uh, yeah, without uh, without challenge or strife or pain, there is no growth. You, if there's no pressure, you can't make a diamond, right? And that's a that's a philosophy for life, listeners. Not just uh, not just our book. Um, and uh, yeah, so he's they're trying the terminus is going to have to adapt. They're going to have they don't have natural resources that they can barter with. They don't have um, a powerful military, so they're either going to have to build one or they're um, going to have to figure out ways around it. Uh, the establishment of nuclear weapons seems to be in their future. Uh, since they have nuclear capabilities and the rest of the galaxy does not. I doubt they can export power in any kind of efficient way, so that's probably out. They don't have any um, iron or steel or anything like that. Basically, they have their land. They have some kind of store of encyclopedic knowledge, right, Um, which could be helpful for guiding them, but again... The problem is stagnation, and that is what they need to fight against. That is what they need to rage against <laughs> to fight the dying of the is light. That the, is that the machine that they need to rage They're against? They're going to rage is against it? the machine. <laughs> and our protagonist, Zach 
De La Rocha is going to come out and he's going to save the day with his intense lyrics. Why do you think he felt the need to lie? That's my question. Why did Harry Seldon lie to establish the foundation? I get why he did it to the empire. I need to do this in secret. Why did he lie to his people? Yeah, I think there it it kind of comes out that they're not his people, right? It's uh, he identifies that one psychologist that trained um, Lorian. Yeah, like that was his people. He was one of us. He called them right, but he does. I don't think he considers the encyclopedists, and I do, I believe it is pronounced the encyclopedists, Peter. Um, we can agree to disagree. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I don't think he considered them that group his people. They are the Encyclopedia Foundation. They're another entity in his. They're another parameter in his equation, right? So, so who were the hundred thousand people that he moved off the world who were his constituents then? I think they were the encyclopedists, but he didn't right. send a bunch of psychohistorians with them, right? He kept the psychohistorians right. on terminus because they were mapping out this future view or this future vision. Uh, and then the encyclopedists were pawns in the, in the scheme, right? You mean that he kept them on Trantor? Mm -hmm. Did I say something else? You said terminus. Oh yeah. No, I meant Trantor. Yeah, you're right. Okay. So the, the balance of the trained psychoanalysts, psychohistorians, sorry, are on, Trantor. Right. And then somehow he moved. I I always interpreted the 100,000 as his people. I think he actually refers to them as his, you know, his constituents or his people under his wing or what have you, responsibility during his trial. And so that's the assumption I've moved forward with from that mm -hmm. uh, section of the book that the people on Terminus were of that constituency. Um, while he, the people, it's clear that there are no psychohistorians on Terminus. The people working on the archival knowledge were, they were still misled. And the mm -hmm. question is why? Okay. So why do you think Harry misled these people? Russ, you touched on it. Do you want to, you want to, Feel this? Um, I mean, what's coming to my mind is he had to create an environment that pushed that pushed them beyond a point of return. So if he creates a narrative that is 50 years deep, it's pretty hard to turn around and go back and unravel. So it, it's almost as if he's pushed them halfway down the mountain, you know, and taken away everything that they can use to turn around and climb back up. So the only way that they can go is down further down. So he's like a bad dad. And he like threw these people into the deep end of the pool and said, learn to swim. Is that what you're telling me? That Harry Seldon's a bad dad. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think, uh, I guess to, to, um, put a little bit of additional context on it's like, he knew that certain things would happen in certain time, right? And he needed to kind of isolate this group 
of future um, or of he needed to isolate a group of people that would form the future of the next galactic empire somewhere on the side for 50 years to let crap happen right like so why do this though why like what are their resources what do they have to help them succeed because you could like if there's going to be a breakdown of interstellar travel and uh, the empire as a whole, there's going to be thousands of seeds like this that they're going to be on their own. So why do you have to establish terminus as a colony? So I think the difference in my mind is that terminus was uninhabited. It's lacks resources. So it's like, the analogy to me when I got to the the end of the section and he talked about them seeing crises and I thought, how young is this planet? I thought of like, you know, the new world, right? And United States, a young country, very entrepreneurial spirit, you know, steadily climbs to a position at, you know, dominating world affairs, Right. I mean, now we have power competition in other major countries, you know, and we've faced that for probably the better part of the last 50 years. But the United States, as a very young country, you know, climbed to the top. Why was that possible? They were not burdened by decadent caste structures. They were not burdened by existing infrastructure that people just were so used to, they completely took for granted. Like no, nobody's had to ever build a house in 50 years. Like nobody knows how to build a house anymore. Right. The, uh, it, he put them in a position where they have to, you know, lift ingenuity out of humanity. Again, they're forced to do it. And I think that plays a big part in, you know, the establishment of terminus. He's creating, these like Conan the Barbarian mines, if you will. Is that a bad analogy? Like Conan the Barbarian mines? Minds. <laughs> like brains. Like mental oh, powers. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like, like you could get them out of rock with like a no. pickaxe. I thought you were talking about like mimes that were dressed up like Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, I almost went there, but then I changed my thought, and I thought "minds" with a D at the end would be a, a more appropriate analogy. So, yeah, so I think uh, I think we're kind of um, hitting a wall here. Uh, <laughs> we've uh, we've revealed the uh, you know the big surprise, um, and I think that it's really going to be interesting, you know, in the next section to understand. What does that really mean for Terminus, right? Is it going to be like, you know, Russ's projection from episode one that it's a, you know, a, a, uh, a dark ages full of warfare? Or is there a chance that, you know, violence as the last vestige of the incompetent um, and Terminus, you know, these sharp scientific minds being kind of tested and pushed to their limits are they going to be able to overcome without necessarily being violent, even if there's violence elsewhere in the galaxy? Yeah. I don't think this is the type of book that's going to go towards um, might is right. Well, might it's, it's right, interesting right. that, that you say that though, because they several times, several different people have referred to 
barbarism of the surrounding planets. Just the same term, barbaric, barbarous, even right. um rule but live by the sword, die by the sword kind of. Yeah, mentality. but they, they just constantly are referring to these planets that are reversing course and becoming barbaric. So it makes sense that if this is like an intellectual jousting match, that you've got a planet full of incredibly intelligent people who have the galaxy's knowledge behind them, that they're that they can tap into that to use to their advantage. Like who wouldn't want to know how to make a bow and arrow as opposed to some guy who's holding the rock? It sounds like they've got more than obviously just the military. How big is this rock? Advantage, <laughs> like too big to throw. It's like. Not a David too, hold and Goliath on, hold thing. On. Too big for Peter to throw, or too big for me to throw. Well, I would say too big for me to throw because I think oh. I'm I'm the the most. How do I put this? Sveltest out of all of you. <laughs> We're gonna go with nimble and crafty, like a <laughs> like a mouse. I'm I'm very <laughs> light on my feet. Let's just say that. Okay, have you guys ever seen like a like a crane or a stork? <laughs> That's what Russ looks like. I try to stay as lean as possible for post-apocalyptic times where I don't require a lot of energy. He can also run on water without breaking the surface tension. My bones are hollow, yes. I, I have I had several marrow transplants to remove the center of my bones. We, we've called him the Jesus lizard before, and that's how I will refer to him from now on. So, so what you're saying, Russ, is that there may be people on Terminus that know – a means of distracting the barbarous um, neophytes of the other realms with bright, shiny objects rather than having to go up against them in like the octagon or something like that. Right. It's, it's like I'm saying, Jay, it's like I'm saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I am, I am baffled by this dual possibility of ancestral knowledge that is, suffocating right which is what we are is is brought up in this section of the book right is that um there's plenty of scholars who can't apply this knowledge to save their lives but they have essentially archived it mentally so this this kind of knowledge is uh ineffective it is um the cause of the fall of the empire is the implication as as opposed to having knowledge to use to fuel innovation, right? Is that our push-pull that's coming up? Or is there something else that I'm missing? I don't know. I think I'm I'm kind of in a similar boat, uh, Peter. I'm having a hard time, and I always struggle with this, with kind of predictive modeling of the future, is things don't happen for the next, you know, even if we're just talking... 10, 20, 30 years out, things don't happen 10, 20, 30 years from now based on today's state of the variables of the equation. The variables are constantly evolving, right? And so like when people say, oh, we're going to run out of oil by 2040, like these statements are just completely wrong, right? Because they take no account of technological progress between now and 2040. And right. I think that, you know, the, the state that Asimov has put the empire into, I feel like it's just too far down a linear projection of the future that doesn't account for 
like how many planets are out are there out there where people are going backwards then nobody on any of those planets is like an on, entrepreneurial minded enough person to capitalize on those resources and make a business out of it and turn it around or you know or there's no other Salver Hardens that are ambitious politicians in the world that are, you know, budding revolutionaries and things like that. It just seems so extreme that I just, I can't imagine. It's almost like, uh, I was thinking a lot of, uh, Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, you know, this idea of, you know, handful of smart people exit society and then society just collapse. Like, there's no other smart people than this like couple hundred, you know, geniuses that isolate themselves. And, you know, she does it to sell a story, but I feel like Asimov thinks it's like, you know, this is like a potential future kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of goes back to my point earlier about, you know, why is, why did he have to separate terms? Why did they have to stick out in the, the, you know, the armpit of the galaxy with no resources, no, no defenses, nothing to fall back on. Um, I would think that you would want some surface to air missiles or something like that. <laughs> if you're trying to protect your, you know, your scrawny weakling geek scientists and uh, use them as the seed for the next empire, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, at least a satellite network with some kind of electronic warfare f- force field around the planet or you know. something. Right? Yeah. right now, it sounds like they have like garden hose and <laughs> raw plutonium that they can throw at people. <laughs> they can make dirty bombs, or, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, there's nothing else going on there. To elaborate on your point, Jay, the there's going to be – at the collapse of the empire, thousands of worlds – like terminus is term is the fact that what's terminus, so special about terminus I, you're, right yeah, why is yeah. terminus special is it that it's not actually part of the old empire it's completely free from the old ways is that the idea right because uh, government collapses right there's still going to be some kind of local form of government right and you were going into why was america exceptional Right, it, it, because of the the lack of a caste system, so there's going to be some kind of social order or something on that planet itself. Um, even if the rest of the galaxy is ultra specialized, like Trantor was, which is essentially a, a bureaucratic planet, so they would still have some kind of there. There's still going to be people on that planet, and they will have been trading for certain goods and services that they will have in varying quantities depending on what planet it is, right? So let's say you're the uh, you're the only planet that grows shrimp, right? Well, not everybody on the whole planet is just eating shrimp. Everybody's going to need some place to live. So they've been trading with the modular housing planet and the, uh, the coal planet to get their energy needs met and their fishing nets – uh, planet, right? So all those things are still going to exist on this world. And unless the ecology and the environment has been completely terraformed to a point where that 
it has done one thing and one thing only, but it has done that thing perfectly on its own. They're going to be able to rebuild. And maybe I just need to be suspending my belief at this point. Like, yeah, I th- yeah. I think we're, I think that's like, uh, you know, kind of where I'm at. It's like, we have to read more to, to appreciate what we're, what we're seeing right now. Yeah. There's a lot of questions out there. What's so special about Terminus? What's going on at the other end of the galaxy? Um, and our next section is called the mayor. So obviously, uh, Mr. Harden, um, is kind of like the seed of something like the establishment of government or something like that, I'm guessing. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see what unfolds. I think, um, I think we'll leave it just as Harry did. The Anacreons were landing their first spaceships tomorrow, but that was all right too. In six months, they would be giving orders no longer. In fact, as Harry Selden had said, and as Salvador Hardin had guessed since the day that Anselm Hot Roderick had first revealed to him Acreon's lack of nuclear power, the solution to this first crisis was obvious. Obvious as all hell. So next next time is going to be the mayors. Did anybody just slip into like a quick little snooze after that nice reading by by our own Peter? I was just lulled to sleep immediately by that soothing, soft tone. I've, I've been told I have a soothing baritone by one particularly handsome co-host with his All right. dancer's legs. <laughs> <laughs> so true. All right. Well, maybe you guys can, uh, you know, follow that up uh, off camera sometime. But um, I will be 100% honest uh, and I know that we're wrapping it up here, but even though Peter, you say it's obvious as all hell. And uh, those are the words of uh, Mr. Salver Harden himself. Um, to me, it is not 100% clear. Uh, certainly not as all hell. So I am. Oh, still... I have no idea what he's doing. I'm... Oh, okay. All right. I thought you like, oh yeah, I totally get it. Like, uh, yeah, no, I, clearly obvious. That's, you know? that's definitely the, how, like that, how that section closes. And yeah. I was confused. Okay. So we're all like, clueless. So... so I feel better now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still yeah. trying to figure out like, when does Arrakis come into play? <laughs> How much like spice Milan? Can't they just Harry, you know Harry like harvest some Sioux stones and go buy some new bombs from the Ixians or something like that? Yeah, like what's you know, going on? Like in any case, so um, yeah, it's it's not obvious to me at all. So I think that's a, like a interesting little cliffhanger that he leaves there. It's like oh, should you know? I felt like kind of guilty. Like oh, it's not obvious to me. Like I don't. I have to read the next section to find out what's going, what's going to happen. You know, so I had the same reaction. Okay. I had the exact same reaction. I was like, wait, what did I not read something carefully? Um, It's like the best I get is a hint of, you know, the nuclear power thing. Like that is, you know, something important, but does it mean bombs? Does it mean threat of munitions? Does it mean, so they say, you know, Harry uh, Harden's plan, right? So that they're they're being invaded tomorrow, right? But within six months, they'll be they'll be free of that influence, mm-hmm. right? So, are they going to establish nuclear weapons within six months, or does he have some kind of Probably other not. plan, right, yeah. involving nuclear power and I don't know, uh, starting some kind of nuclear program, but sabotaging it along the way? I really don't know. Yeah, I'm yeah. speculating. All right. So, so let's agree to, uh, 
make sure we include a, a regroup on that and how we uh, how well we did speculating or not speculating at uh, our next discussion. So this has been Such Nerds. Thanks for tuning in this week. My name is Russ. My co-hosts are... Jason. And Peter. And we will catch you guys next time. Thanks a lot, guys. See you next time. Have a good one.